Hi, I'm Dave Maloof, and this is the Progression Podcast. Hey folks, welcome to another episode of the Progression Podcast. Finally, it's back. Uh, It's been a few months off. Uh, We've been really busy getting the app out, and as the number of customers goes up, everything gets very busy and and, uh, overwhelming. So we've been working on product a lot. But I'm finally back uh, rolling out some of the podcasts that actually I've been recording over the last few months. There's loads of really interesting, diverse folks that I've been talking to and more to come. So over the next few weeks, we'll have probably six to eight episodes coming out and we'll try and do uh, at least one more with Neil and I uh, talking about the product itself and what we're up to. Uh, But first of all, we're going to talk to a chap called Dave Maloof, who some of you may have come across. He's big on the conference circuit. Uh, if you're into design ops, he's one of the kind of the big names advocating for design ops and, and talking about what it means and, and how to run it within your team. So we get really into that. We talk a lot about what design ops actually means uh, and how to roll it out and when you should roll it out. He's on every stage going at the moment. Um, so you may have seen him at the Design Ops Summit uh, this year and last year, I think, Leading Design, Joint Futures he actually hosted in Helsinki, um, and probably many more that I haven't managed to track down. So you'll be able to find lots of his talks online. I'll see if I can link to a couple in the show notes. But also, he, back in the day, 2003, was the founder, or one of the founders of the IXDA Interaction Design Association, uh, worked at Rackspace, HP, DigitalOcean, uh, instructor with General Assembly, lots of other things, uh, is one of the group of humans. So yeah, we get into a bunch of stuff. So this is the first of the next season of the Progression Podcast. If there's anyone that you would like me to speak to, anyone that is doing great work, uh, who you feel needs a bit more attention or you want to ask them questions through me, then that would be fantastic. Uh, If you yourself would like to be on the podcast, I'd also love to hear from you. All the details will be in the show notes around that. We have a new sponsor for this season. It's Deliveroo, one of my favourite companies. I obviously am somewhat biased, seeing as I used to work there, but They're a fantastic team, growing fast, lots of fresh blood, and the leadership team is really excellent. Um, So it's a great place to go and be a designer. There'll be an advert, an official advert, uh, halfway through this episode and all episodes coming up. So look forward to that. Um, Also, I chose some new music for the music bed. Interested to know what you think. Also, finally, we're probably going to aim to launch progression by the end of Q1 next year. So if you want to get in early, if you're already on the wait list or you haven't yet joined the wait list, but you're really excited to try out progression, then please do send me an email, send me a tweet, all that kind of stuff, and we can get going with that. Otherwise, feel free to chill out and wait until we launch next year. All right, on with the show. Hi, Dave. Thank you very much for being on the podcast. Uh, you are kind of one of the the real experts on on what is design ops, and I'd love to <laughs> start by getting a sense of what it what this thing design ops is. Uh, there's almost definitely lots of people out there thinking, "Oh, oh no, here's another thing that I need to worry about." 
And I suspect it's also one of those words that for different people triggers slightly different meanings. Um, design ops may mean two different things to two different people. So I would love it if you could start by just giving what is the, the official Dave Maloof design ops uh, definition. All right. And All then right. Uh, we can kind of talk a little bit about how that works in practice. Sure. So design operations or design ops is everything that supports or amplifies the value of a design practice. So you have the direct design activities, the craft, the methods, and so forth. And then you have everything that's required to make those activities go well. And that's people, that's tools, that's workflow, that's governance, it's infrastructure, it's spaces. Um, you know, it's, it's all, of, all of those pieces. And another way I think about it is it's the, it's the, everything that if you had a chief operating officer of your design team, what they would be doing um, or who they would be having on their team to do it. Uh, so those are the two ways I tend to think about it. Fantastic. So it sounds like there's uh, various different aspects of design ops here that, that we can talk about. A, a lot of people I suspect will come up to you um, and say, well, we have a design system, so we're doing design ops. Yeah, they might. They might come up to me and say that. <laughs> I mean, the answer is yes, they are doing a piece of design ops. Um, a design system is an operational tool. Um, it's also an operational tool that needs to be operationalized in and of itself, but it's just a piece of the puzzle and it helps in some parts of the operations of supporting and amplifying the value of design um, for and through an organization, but it, it's not the beginning or the end of design operations. So. Okay. So, so what's the first thing that, okay, if, if we're imagining a, a team growing over time, a design team, what's the first point at which someone should start thinking about this term and, and doing something about it? What's the first aspect of it that starts to, be, to matter? Or is maybe that's the wrong question? <laughs> well, I think, I think it, it's a great question because it's a question that a lot of people have, right? Is, should I be concerned about this? Where do I start? All of those kinds of questions that surround a, a new framing of something. And that's the important statement. It's, it's a new framing of an old thing. And you have operations. You have design operations um, whether you acknowledge them or not. And the question is really not when do you start having design operations, but when do you start or how do you start becoming intentional about the operational part of your design practice? And the answer to that question is yesterday, <laughs> right? Like, or last month or last year. And 
you know, whether you're a designer team of one or even like a front end developer who is being tasked with, you know, some aspects of design because there's no one else to do it, or you're a team of a thousand um, and everything in between, again, you have operations. So why not make those operations go well? And so then the question is, really about, well, what discovery of scope can I manage given the scale that I'm at and how do I manage that scale, right? If I'm a designer of one, probably the the first things that I am interested in is how not to get burnt out, <laughs> right? And how not to get overwhelmed. So... I may start thinking about things like, how do I prioritize? How do I start communicating to the hundreds of stakeholders who want my attention, um, whom I don't have time for, and I have to figure out a way where they will accept the answer no, right? In as nice a way as possible. So I need to have a visible, transparent scheme that shows them how I prioritize work with their help, right? There's a lot of things that are, are assumptions in there that, you know, someone else isn't prioritizing your work for you, right? Um, so then if someone else is prioritizing your work, be that a product owner or a scrum master or a boss <laughs> of some kind, um what you may want to think about then is like ways of scaling your work, um, ways of becoming more efficient, ways of um, communicating your capacity against your utilization, right? So that they understand whether they're burning you out or not, right? And so you get that kind of, of support. You also may want to start creating metrics around the quality of your work so people can start evaluating you um, and what you do. Um, and then that sort of ties into being uh, a way of evaluating whether you need help and how you start getting that help. But those are all sort of the beginnings of it. And those things are always necessary and always are part of scaling and always are part of the operations, but, you know, things that you don't need when you're just a designer of one is a career ladder, <laughs> right? You want to have conversations about where you're going and what you're doing, but, like, you don't need to, like, if you're a senior designer, you don't need to know about what it takes to become a director of design. You just need to know what it takes to become a lead, and that's just a conversation that you have with your boss, right, at that point. Um, there's things around um, governance and workflow I would probably avoid because other people are doing that work for you implicitly, you know, stuff like that. Can you just like uh, def def define governance and workflow for me? Sure. So, um, so workflow is how the work progresses and goes through a process. Um, 
And that process could be, you know, agile scrum or Kanban based, or it could be waterfall. Um, but usually there's um, micro parts of process that have to relate, for example, to a, a more of a design process and, you know, across an epic, for example, if you're using Scrum, like, do you have, um, do you kick off with a design sprint with everyone on the team, right? And then that defines the MVP that gets des designed and refined and made, or is there something else, right? Like, and, and there's a bunch of different uh, things that can, that can happen there. And then um, in terms of governance, those are just things around decision-making. Who makes decisions? What decisions are made? How are they made? Is it consensus-based? Is it um, based on, you know, highest paid person, right? Um, is it based on um, democracy? It's probably the one I see the least. Um, <laughs> and, and then, you know... Um, then there are things like, well, do we work in an organization that has compliance and regulatory um, as major factors? And how do those work into the system? What's the, what are the rules for something to be shippable that it can go out, right? Those are kinds of governance things. Okay. So this is, this is effectively informing the rituals and the artifacts that you create as you kind of grow um there may be an interesting parallel with well obviously design ops has in part probably come from devops as a practice or, or has borrowed at, at various points from devops i don't know but um when writing code thinking about writing it a few times before you then go back and refactor it into uh, one function that does all three um mm -hmm. and it, it sounds to me like not jumping ahead and building something before you felt the pain of not having it mm -hmm. feels like a theme at least when you were talking about the the career ladders and um you didn't mention building um ui kits and, and design systems and things like that but i can imagine that that probably fits into the same into the same bucket uh, so what are the big mistakes that you see people making around this either leaving it too late or jumping too early i think the I'm not sure if it's a mistake. People in organizations have to be who they are, where they are, and how they are, right? And people are trying the best they can in situations where there's a lot of context <laughs> to the decisions being made. So I don't want to be overly judgmental, um, especially in the case of design operations where um, design can be living in a situation where it's a second-class citizen or a third-class citizen, if you will, in an organization. And, and so there's just limitations on, on what you can do um, because especially when you're starting out, the funding will go where people want the funding to go, right? For me, it, the mistake is, is just a common mistake around all of this stuff, and it's not limited to design or development or product management or digital even, 
it was like the way you started talking about, oh, this is just like DevOps. There's a way where we all just naturally hinge things, hook things to the familiar, right? And in, in many ways, that has been, for me, a recurring theme through my career beyond operations where, you know, um, it, it could be, oh, interaction design is just like human factors. We don't need interaction design. Or um, uh, service design and user experience design are the same thing. Like there's, there's this way where people tend to find their hook and say, oh, I'm doing that because there's an overlap of some kind. Instead of thinking of the overlap as as sort of like an entry point into a much bigger world, like the overlap is your is your door. So like the thing that I talk about in in my writing, early writing, is this notion of lenses that you know when when we started doing digital new media cyberspace, you know information highway work in the 90s, right? Some people came at this from advertising. Some people came at this from software. Some people came at this from storytelling, you know, and those were their lenses that they came at. And the same thing is happening again with design ops and and has happened with all kinds of things in between. But for design ops, the lenses are, oh, I come at this because I'm interested in workflow and delivery. And so I'm going to create a program management organization and start from there. And some people look at it as people and culture or people operations and they start from there. And some people are really interested in or have experience in the business operations side of things. And so they come from there. And the mistake is if you turn that starting point into a box and you say, oh, this isn't my entry point, this is it, right? That's when it becomes a mistake. And so, you know, in the, in the framing a little bit of the question, like you were looking for a mistake in starting out, and it, it's the, the mistakes aren't in the starting out, the mistakes are in the not growing beyond. That's, that would be what I would say. It's really interesting that you say that as a, as a, uh, and I'm very comfortable being schooled in all of this. So I'll keep saying the wrong things and you can keep uh, adjusting my course. This is good education for me. Um, I'm interested generally in when the right time is to, I suppose, hire for design ops. Uh, and I feel like it's an interesting follow on to what you just said, because you will undoubtedly hire someone in the image of the box that you've put yourself in if you're not careful, uh-huh. uh, if that makes sense. Um, oh, totally makes so sense. Yeah. If you were to, if you were to uh, advise uh, a, a company who um, wanted to prioritize design ops, maybe this is an impossible question to answer because there's too much nuance or, or, or um, it's too context specific, but what kind of a person would you look for? And I suppose I'm interested as part of this in where I, I've seen articles where you've talked about um, process versus practice and whether you're looking for a, a certain mindset or you're looking for a skill set. Um, mm-hmm. 
what kind of past experience that person has had versus is it actually really difficult to look for past experience and you just need to find someone who thinks about problems in the right way yeah i i often tell people to start where you have the the biggest itch that you can describe well to others so like what's your biggest problem and do you have all of the ammunition necessary and means of making that ammunition so that the widest array of stakeholders internal and external can understand the decision that you're making in terms of why you're addressing this problem and so um and i guess with that is it a problem that they feel those stakeholders feel they need it to be fixed as well you know so if i asked a bunch of my product managers who i work with or if i asked a bunch of my developers in several squads that are i'm working with like what what we will find most likely is that issues around delivery will come to the front. And so it is common for a lot of organizations to take that advice or take that information and build their design operations from a program management or prog ah, <laughs> program management <clears throat> they will take your advice <laughs> they'll take your advice they will, you will take that advice and just give them program or project management and that's fine cuz you it's important to be successful and the best way to demonstrate success is to provide value to your stakeholders most directly yeah so this is this is specifically um, in order to get buy-in to get the headcount for the department, I suppose, yeah. which is obviously very important. Assume you've then got that the, you've they've said yes. Um, here's budget for for someone. Um, yes, <laughs> at or, some point, or a group of people, yes. or the, uh, at some point, someone says yes. Then who do you to look something. for? They have to say yes. <laughs> exactly. Um, do you then you then hire for the role that you've been? given the mandate to, to hire for or, or, uh, or and that could be an internal hire I suppose you could look to someone in the team to take that on uh, um. yeah a lot of my maturity path when it comes to people is not to start off by hiring because then you need budget um, what I usually do is start my operational practice with the team that I have by carving away small chunks of their time and protecting it so that 
they can do the operational things that they are interested in solving themselves. So one, the reason I like that is usually the things that are bothering designers specifically are not the things that are bothering their stakeholders. And so, for example, in one of my last orgs, one of the major things that were was bothering one of my designers because she was like, she was like the tribal knowledge person was onboarding of new talent and we were growing really rapidly. So like everyone just kept hitting her over and over again with the, where's this and what's this tool and where do I do this and how, and she was just like, finally said, can I create like a wiki and can we do something about this? And I'm like, go for it. And I told her team and they knew that, that she would be doing this. And it was just, it was perfect because it had, an internal impact that we can then start creating a story around operations, you know, in, in having a win that isn't just delivery, right? Of course we had to deal with delivery too, but we were able to do that in different ways. This episode is kindly sponsored by the Deliveroo Experience team. I can say as someone who spent two and a half years working there, that Deliveroo is an amazing place to come and be a designer, a researcher, or a UX writer. You'll get to break out of not just the screen, working on real-life problems around getting food from kitchen to table, but out of London, going out to solve problems for customers, riders and restaurants in 14 countries around the world. There's a bunch of open roles as we speak, with everything from senior managers to product designers, UX writers and researcher roles up for grabs. They're looking for applicants from diverse backgrounds, and if you're not sure if you qualify, you should definitely apply anyway. The job descriptions are not a checklist. All you need to do is head to delivery.design to check out what the team are up to and what your next job could look like. That link is also in the show notes. Thanks. Just to, to fire another, I don't know if it's a criticism, but a, a question that people have around design ops at you. <laughs> you just you know, while I have you on the phone, I can you know aim all this stuff at you and you can't get away. Uh, so some people say, well, design ops is just management, but uh, I'm interested in your your opinion around how much you democratize the responsibility for this work versus take it on as a leader and which parts of design ops fall to a manager versus a team before you've hit the point where you can kind of spin up your design ops team. Sure. Um, it all falls on, on the leader of, of the design team, 100%. Uh, the question is, is what are the priorities for a design leader at any given time, at any level of maturity for themselves, for the organization, for the team? Um, and it isn't that it is or isn't part of management. Some people even just call it design management. For me, it's just a question of there are so many pieces of management and as you scale an organization, a design team, do you start to have your own issues of scale as a, as a leader? So like one of, you know, I talked about having my team work on design operations stuff, you know, of the next thing is to, you know, once I start having a team that I have management under me, well, those individual managers usually take on a piece of design operations in some way. 
uh, before I start hiring specific people. Interesting. Okay. I mean, I mean, we can, we can keep diving into design ops. I'd love to end this kind of this section on, um, in two weeks time, not a week. We've already <laughs> agreed. Okay. Let's, there. let's it's be not fair. It's, it's, it's nine days until I give okay. my talk. In nine days. Eight okay, days. I guess I'll, it is a week, man. Uh. <laughs> so the design ops summit, uh, 2019, if you're listening sometime in the future, uh, is nearly upon us in New York. Um, and you're doing the closing keynote on day two with the talk title Amplify Not Optimize uh, and to read out a little bit of the, the blurb on there uh, we currently describe frame and promote design operations as being all about efficiency while we might not ever say the term ROI out loud we certainly sell design ops as a means for optimizing our organization's investments in their design and research teams and infrastructure what you then go on to to describe is how actually there needs to be a framing which is more, I suppose, top down or more uh, fundamental rather than window dressing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, to, to paraphrase, so I'm interested in in uh, I suppose maybe a sneak preview. Um, although I suspect you'll have been on stage by the time this podcast comes out, so who knows? But uh, a sneak preview of uh, what you're going to be talking about and and the the big kind of takeaway, if you have it nine days from. <laughs> I think it's very unfair because whenever I've written a talk, it's been finished four days before. So um, <laughs> put you on the spot here. <laughs> I actually have my uh, final rehearsal uh, for my talk with the with the curation team later today and so i was up till 4 a.m last night working on it um (laughs) so um i would say that the content has changed quite a bit since the blurb was written and that i don't talk so much about the optimized stuff anymore what i focus on is the amplify that the role of any operational organization is first and foremost to be focused on amplifying, supporting and amplifying the value created by whatever you're operationalizing. The the thing that we need to understand in order to do that, any good amplifier can only be effective if they know what it is that they're amplifying and so the the talk is really what is the intrinsic value of design practice and then how does design operations most effectively do its work based on that understanding and there's a couple of soapbox moments where I wag my finger and things like that. But for the most part, like I'm really just trying to create a mindset to act as a balance to the prevailing mindset that comes from an organizations that look at operations as efficiency and optimizing tools. There's an opportunity to uh, improve rather than just make it quicker. Or uh, there's a, there's an opportunity to to 
increase the value of the thing rather than just make the thing happen in a more efficient way. Yeah. You know, there's, if, if I may be so bold, you know, I can ship shit all day long dude, and, and efficiently as possible. Um, I just don't want to be, I personally do not want to be in the manure business, right? <laughs> like I want to, I want to be involved in creating value, having impact, being ethical and moral all at the same time. Awesome. Well, uh, I will, I'm not going to be there, but I'm, I'll be sure to watch it online and then, um, I'll update the show notes when, when a video appears and then you can have... We can see whether you were right about what you said. <laughs> uh, it can't change anymore. It can't. <laughs> um, okay. So uh, just just a final final thing is um, your, your work on stage. You're now consulting rather than full-time somewhere so there's there's obviously a um, a different relationship probably with with what you do organizing events and, and curating um, to, to someone who might be full-time in a role but um, for those leaders who are thinking about getting on stage do you have any well tips and also ways to understand what the value is and how to get the most value out of that whether it's personally or professionally uh, from from going out and having an opinion which is scary for everyone i think <laughs> you know there's there's different personality types and there's people are good at figuring out how to get the things that they need in different ways and when you are a leader most likely you've you've figured out for the most part how you need to get the things that you need to be effective um depending on the level of leader you are and so i don't think there's like anything about speaking that that people should feel like they have to do um I have always been someone who enjoys the feedback loop of responding to what other people say, processing that, turning it into the things that I want to say, hearing people respond to what I have to say, so forth and so on, mm. right? That whole like infinity sign feedback loop thing. And, you know, whether it's writing or speaking, um, talking on on Slack channels or back in the day listservs, right? Like, yeah. it, that has always been the mechanism that has helped me think and process and grow and has been in, so important on, on those levels. And, and because it's worked so well for me, sometimes it's hard for me to imagine other ways of doing that. And, and I'd love for everyone to engage the same way, but people don't, um, and that's fine. The, uh, the other thing I would say, though, that feels a little bit more interesting to me is, to me, you know, there's no such thing as infinite budget, and if you want to be networking a lot, it helps to speak and get paid, or at least get the travel paid and the ticket to the conference mm -hmm. paid for. 
And so, you know, we'll speak for networking, <laughs> you know, yeah. is, is basically a big part of it. But the other big part of it for me is, which is why I like to push the geographic part of my speaking quite a bit, is um, traveling is just such an, an important part of my design practice. It, it, is, it is the way that I have always gotten out, out of the box and juxtapose my domestic thinking against that which was previously foreign. Right. And right. having that balance of in and out and whatnot is just, I feel, been vital to making me a good designer and a good design leader. And, um, you know, one of the, one of my focuses as a design leader has always been um, a framer and reframer. And right. like that's been like my core skill as opposed to others who have been really good at um, the form giving parts of design, which has not been my, my primary skill. And so, you know, I'm an anthropologist by education. And so like, it's, that's been an important thing for me in terms of this is it's, um, it's been a privilege to be able to travel as widely as I've had. And that privilege is earned by, stress anxiety and nervousness <laughs> on a stage yeah. and just you know buckling up and doing it yeah i mean if you for sure if you look i, I suppose until you get to a certain point in your speaking career if you look at the roi as financial then you're gonna be on to a loser pretty much every time so it's <laughs> <laughs> totally no no i mean there, as a consultant there are there is exposure and and stuff like that but you know Never speak for free is my motto. Um, exposure, whether it's your portfolio or whether it's a talk, uh, yeah. will never, never get you return on that investment. So Right, right. Amen to that. Um, Dave, thank you so much for getting on a call with me. How do we find you uh, if we want to um, on the internet or otherwise? Well, not. You don't need to give your address. <laughs> <laughs> I live in a little village in the middle of nowhere, Long Island, uh, with a wonderful view of Connecticut. Um, <laughs> uh, that, those are my coordinates. You can you can try that. But um, <laughs> but uh, in terms of finding me in in virtual space, which is much easier, um, it's it's just Dave Maloof one word dot design is my website. And okay. you can find out all about me and my practice uh, there and where I speak and um, all of that is, is part of that site. Fantastic. Dave, I'll let you uh, get some sleep after your late, late night last night and good luck with your <laughs> final rehearsal and, and the conference. I'm sure you'll smash it. Yeah, um, I'm excited. And thank you very much for speaking to me. Bye-bye. Sure. Thank you. All right. All right.